0: Hi, I'm Eve. I'm from the east end of Long Island, New York. Growing up, there was one wild animal I came across constantly,
1: deer. Half of the people want to see them vaporized. The other half won't let you touch a little hair on their head.
0: This is a podcast about deer and people and how in one unique community, these two species are bound in a web of conflict that has been decades in the making. We know that hunting works. These folks created the problem. It makes me want to cry. It's
1: like, how do we undo this? You got to do
2: anything and everything you can to win this battle.
0: I'm Eve Bishop, and this is Dear Humans. You can listen to the show wherever you get your podcasts.
2: You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Kinesic. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pineland's Nursery. I am Fran Chismar.
1: And I'm Tom Knesk, and welcome to episode 96, which is going to be a really fun one. It, like we just mentioned in our little pre-show, we uh, this was on our initial list of ideas. So we had that we, tw- list of 20 guests, uh, 20 associations we want to have on. This is on that first list, and we're finally getting around to having them on. I'm excited. This is one that I've wanted to do. We've
2: only maybe knocked off 50% of that. Original oh, list, probably, would you say? Probably
1: like a 15 little bit more of the twenty, yeah, maybe seventy-five percent. What are we gonna do when we finish that list? I don't. I don't is know it I time guess to retire. Hang it up.
2: But. <laughs> we have to hit a hundred episodes first. Yes,
1: yeah, why. but but this is a really interesting topic we're gonna talk about today, and uh, and it starts with the Chesapeake Bay, which even though we're in New Jersey and our watershed is the Delaware Bay, um, the Chesapeake Bay is really not that far away, and it's yeah. a really place to recreate. You can. Go crabbing, fishing. Uh, we call it striped bass, but they call it rockfish down there. <laughs> but even I didn't realize how big the Chesapeake Bay watershed was. I think of Maryland and Virginia, but it really stretches up into like Pennsylvania and New York.
2: Yeah, I wasn't and, aware um, of how large it it's was. It's a either. large,
1: large area, and uh, it's really, really important in keeping that water clean. And that's what we really want to dive into. So uh, we're proud to have on Brenda Sieglitz from the Chesapeake Bay Foundation to t- talk about some of the things they're doing to keep Chesapeake Bay pristine. Now you didn't ask Brenda how to pronounce her last I name before you yeah. said it.
2: So we're, I'm curious to see if you got it right or not. <laughs>
0: so close. It's Siglets oh. Siglets, but that's okay. Uh, you Thomas got, you got closer than some.
1: I'm Thomas uh, batting zero. Notorious for <laughs> messing up last names. Even like easy, easy last names. And I usually ask to make sure I pronounce it right beforehand. Before I then Pronounce it wrong anyway. So I just figured I'd go for it this time.
0: You're fine. So. <laughs> I appreciate the effort.
2: <laughs> so could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your your role uh, with Chesapeake Bay Foundation, and uh, we can kind of go from there if we can learn a little bit about you to start off.
0: Sure. Well, I'm Brenda Siglitz. I'm the senior manager of the Keystone 10 Million Trees Partnership. I'm also assistant director of our Making History campaign with the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. So the Making History campaign is our overarching campaign, which houses 10 million trees for Pennsylvania, 10 billion oysters for the Bay in Maryland and Virginia, and 1 million voices, uh, which is a federal advocacy program. So, um, my portion of the program here works all across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. We launched in 2018, we run through 2025. I live in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, work out of our Harrisburg office. Um, my background is actually mostly in business and project management, and um, became a pa- Pennsylvania Master Naturalist, and have always loved working on ecological issues. And so this position really marries both of them. So now I get to work with 221 really awesome partners across the state and some really great employees. Wow,
2: 221 partners
0: that that
2: sounds daunting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, it can be depending on the day, but you know they they each bring something different to the partnership. You know they each work in a different capacity, so we've really figured out how to make it so that we work together.
2: That's awesome. Before we we dive into the, you know, obviously we want to talk about ten million trees. That's that that almost gives me goosebumps just saying that. Um, but for our listeners that don't know, because Tom and I didn't really know. What is the size of the Chesapeake Bay watershed? Where does it – where is its limits or where does it extend to?
0: Sure. So it covers many states. So we are in Virginia, Maryland, West Virginia. Um, we are in uh, District of Columbia, Pennsylvania, and the state of New York. Wow. So it is really, really quite large. Um, And half of the fresh water that flows into the Chesapeake Bay comes from Pennsylvania. And so, um, you know, when you're thinking about the Chesapeake Bay, you're maybe not even thinking about Pennsylvania. And when you're a Pennsylvanian, you're not necessarily thinking about the Chesapeake Bay. You're thinking about those local waterways like your Susquehanna River, or you're thinking about the Delaware River where you guys are located Mm. in that watershed. You're thinking about the Ohio or Lake Erie. Um, You're not necessarily thinking where those tributaries eventually end up Um, and for us here in Lancaster and Harrisburg that's in the Chesapeake Bay so it's quite a large water system.
2: You know and I'm already asking questions that we didn't (laughs) present to you beforehand and I I apologize for that but what you know as we're backing up and we're talking about the the watershed what was before this program which I'm sure this is part of why the program began what was the state of the watershed Uh, going back, say, like 10 years ago?
0: Sure. Um, So the watershed gets actually a state of the bay report every year. Um, I think that started somewhere in, um, I believe, the early 2000s or late 90s. But I might have to check my record book for that. Um, but CBF issues a State of the Bay report every two years. Okay. So um, lately, you know, it's been in the C or D range, which, you know, depending on what you got in high school math, you know, it could be good or bad. <laughs> so You know, in, in past years, it, it hasn't been really great. Um, there are a lot of factors involved in that. But here in Pennsylvania, a lot of what we're dealing with that, that really impact that is, nitrogen, phosphorus sediment that runs um, off the land and into the waterways. Um, So we're dealing with a lot of issues there, um, really impacting the health of the bay. And so um, what started this whole program many years back, before this was even um, an idea, was the Chesapeake Bay Blueprint. So that is a Mm -hmm. set of rules and regulations uh, to be followed that's mandated by the Environmental Protection Agency and their goals that each state has. So Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia have to meet what's called their total maximum daily load. And so those are the amount of nitrogen, phosphorus, um, nutrients, so sediment, all of those things that flow into the bay, those amount of reductions that we have to make. And so Pennsylvania is, is pretty far behind. And so we looked at the best solution for that, and trees are the best and cheapest solution to that.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, I, I want to... Well, I'm going to say this first because I know we have some some kids and like high school kids who listen, and they might not know what a watershed is. And <laughs> uh, the easiest way I've found to think about that is if a drop of rain fell where you're standing, where would it end up if it slowly kept trickling down? And uh, and this is one of the things where I found out the the, the Chesapeake Bay watershed extended up in New York is when I was in grad school. We had a, a, a outdoor lab class and. We we're on this place and it's like, Oh yeah, if you stand here, we're in the Chesapeake Bay watershed. If you stand two feet to your right, we're in the St. Lawrence watershed, I think it was, because it would go into the Great Lakes. And um and that was where I was like, Oh, Chesapeake Bay's like three, four states away. <laughs> it's not close. We're well, I guess you got Pennsylvania and then Maryland, so two states away. But that is probably the easiest way I would put it into perspective. Brenda, do you have a better example than I do for <laughs> describing a watershed?
0: I think it's a perfect visual no, that I mm. just described.
2: And I think the funny thing is like we we know a lot of landscape or environmental professionals that live on the Chesapeake Bay mm-hmm. and how passionate you know it's a different sure. breed but it's it's part of their everyday. They grew up that way. They're very passionate. They'll tell stories about uh crabbing or fishing growing up and how much time they spend on the water. But if you're that far away, you you don't have that same connection with that watershed. You're not mm-hmm. thinking about the same thing. What's so, happening downstream. Yeah. yeah. So um so we, we we talked about ten million trees. And when I first heard it, personally I remember um back in the, the early two thousands when New York City came out with their one million tree plan uh in ten years and then uh Midler and the NYRPs, you know, worked to match it to make it two million in ten years. And and it was I, I, I wanna say it was ninety percent reforestation, ten percent street trees. And I thought that was a very at least at that point, very daunting task. Like that's a lot of trees in a certain area. And like, how is how is that going to happen? And it, it happened, and I believe it happened early, um, before the ten years. And then now, I hear ten million trees in in less time, eight million now. It's like wow, like that's <laughs> that's that's a lot. You know where where did. Where did the quantity like you were saying you you realized trees were going to be the easiest and the cheapest way to accomplish this. Um, where did the number come from in the time frame?
0: Yeah, well, the 10 million does have a a scientific standing behind it. Although, you know, it is an admirable and sometimes daunting (laughs) and scary and terrifying and keeping me up at night number. Um, It is actually attached to those goals of reducing that nitrogen load into the bay. So we're looking at the number of trees that really need planted predominantly along um, streams and waterways, which we call riparian buffer planting. So um, we're looking at those being the majority of our trees plantings and getting those uh, right tree, right place, um, getting those numbers in and hoping that that will help us achieve those goals or getting us as close to those goals as possible. The other thing is the Chesapeake Bay blueprint has a deadline of 2025. So that's why we align it with that. So we have that eight year plan and we are at the uh, pretty much the midway point of that right now. Um,
2: So before we go into specifics, because I I know the issues just as a business that we're dealing with 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 supply chain issues right now and with everything going on in the world it, it gets you know, we're seeing the, the cost of diesel rise and how is, is that is that I you've had I, I know obviously you've had plenty of time to plan for this and there's a plan and place to reach it. Are are these issues that are kinda of out of our control? Or are they playing their part in in making it more difficult?
0: they are definitely um adding a massive challenge to our our uh, planning so supply chain issues you know are really the crux of exactly what we're doing we are working on one side of increasing demand for trees here in Pennsylvania and then we're also working on increasing the supply of trees in Pennsylvania so um, there's a huge logistical component of getting and producing growing the trees that we need as you guys understand from the nursery and supply side of things and then moving those trees to where you need them to go Um, so you know when we built the budget you're looking at everything from you maybe two to 3% inflation every year. this past year, you know, we're seeing some things inflate as much as 50 to 200% inflation. So, you know, that has really changed. Um, you know, when we're, we get some products from overseas, from the UK, um, cargo containers costing, you know, over $10,000 in shipping. And so, those are having real significant impacts on a budget, especially from a nonprofit NGO perspective. You know, we we do have a, a, a top dollar budget that we have to follow um, to meet our goals. So, You know, those are really having adverse effects, but we are continuing to work with our donors, work with our partners, and we work on a constant pivot uh, analysis. So every year we're looking at what do we need to change? What do we need to evaluate to improve things? Um, Looking at the return on investment of what we're doing to just improve and try and do things better or partner in a different way.
1: Mm -hmm. And you said you're about halfway through how many trees have been planted so far?
0: We're at 3.96 million, and so out of the 221 partners, um, that's everything from state agencies like Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, Game Commission, they have a large seedling giveaway um, that counts towards this, we have um, tons of other partners like Alliance for the Chesapeake Bay, Trout Unlimited Groups, Um, we have um, Chesapeake Conservancy, we have um, and I'm going to forget someone important and they're going to be upset, but uh, <laughs> Water, Stroud Water Research Center. We have so many different partners, um, and each of them are a contributor to this. So it's both a combination of the trees that we deliver to them for free, the trees that they're planting through grant work they're doing, and we all partner together. So we're hoping to hit $5 million, uh, by this October.
2: Wow, that's fantastic. You know, I we often talk about as a nursery that our biggest limitation is time or notice like you're not always given enough notice to to meet this demand but you know we know some of the partners and things like that and there there's notice given like when when there's a plan and you know it's eight years you can you can ramp up like because at least you know this is what's coming down the road i can prepare for this so it's it's nice to see that like that that number just still amazes me (laughs) like 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 that's that's
1: wild that halfway through that you've you've done that much. Mm-hmm. So, um, Tom, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and some people might think, oh, that's, uh, they understand that's a big area, but 10 million trees is a lot of trees. Is there space for that many trees? Like, where are these trees actually going along the, the – like what, I guess, different towns and stuff, and is there – I, I want to yeah. add to that, actually, because yeah. you mentioned a lot of riparian buffer. Is it
2: is it a mixture of public land, private land? I, I would imagine to – to to plant that many trees, you have to have the space and the and the land available to do that.
0: You guys are, are bringing bring up everything that I have like <laughs> to talk about. So uh, Fran, uh you know you brought up something about predictability. Um, so I'm just gonna touch on that real quick before I go over to your question, Tom. Um, so, you know, predictability was one of the biggest concerns that we had in the beginning. You know, we saw partners, uh, growers in particular, start to ramp up a little bit, you know, in their production. Um, but it, not in the way that we really needed them to necessarily. So, you know, growing the same native species that they would traditionally grow that, you know, they knew would be, would be sellable, um, but we needed them to grow more biodiverse species. So we partnered with Department of Conservation Natural Resources. They have a riparian forest buffer advisory group. We come up with a, um, a really full and robust uh, tree and woody uh, shrub species list to really provide, you know, as many sometimes as 60 different different species, which in Pennsylvania is kind of unheard of to have that many native varieties. You know, you go to your local retail greenhouse, you're not seeing that. So Mm -hmm. we needed to start that. We put a down payment on those um, trees to be able to produce those and have those grown. So that's what we're working on this year. Um, On the demand side of things, making sure we have the room another challenge. So, you know, our biggest goal is those agricultural lands and planting uh, trees along streams on ag lands with being that, being the main focus, also upland areas from um, streams, so areas where they're facing erosion, runoff, Um, looking at urban, suburban stormwater runoff areas. We do provide some urban uh, street trees as well for particular areas um, that are in DEIJ communities, so looking to kind of um, support in two different ways there. So there's a lot of different touch points happening. So in this first couple of years, we've hit those early adopters who were really excited about trees, who wanted the trees. They're like, give me all the free trees. And yes, we gave them to them and we planted them. And now we're kind of hitting that point of like, OK, now we need to get the people who really need to have the trees planted on their properties mm-hmm. where, you know, we're, we're seeing that, you know, there's that technical need of really reducing that erosion. So we have a huge outreach um, component coming out this year with advertising and marketing all across South Central Pennsylvania, um, really big, bold advertising Um targeting, you know, landowners and trying to get them to um, come to us and ask for free trees when otherwise they may not have. Yeah.
1: And what does that advertisement look like? Oh, I mean, I could yeah. show you. Yeah. But <laughs> honestly, on podcast, yeah, I guess on a that's... podcast, it's hard to describe. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like wondering, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's it's... a pretty innovative approach to, to use a billboard type mentality to say, hey, you need to come and get free trees. Yeah
0: and it's unusual too from a non-profit perspective, Mm -hmm. also from a government perspective. So um, the organization that sort of kicked it off was um, Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. Mm -hmm. Um, They did some studies to figure out, you know, what kind of landowner we want to reach out to and how we go about doing that. So um, through targeted research, we began that. We partnered with a marketing firm called Swell out of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. So we are, um, we have really bright uh, lime green advertising coming out uh, with things like Say Trees. Um, plants well with others, um, volunteer, like kind of, yeah, yeah. you know, those kind of things. Um, but you know, but also just kind of trying to point people to hey, there's this exciting thing, free trees are available for you to help you with erosion, to help you, um, with rewilding your yard to help you with things like agroforestry and silvopasture. So, we are really trying to expose people that we have the trees, they are available, come to us. So, trying to get them to bite and then come to the website.
2: All right. I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction and then we're going to circle back because I always go off topic. So, I, <laughs> I apologize. So, it's one thing to, to source and grow 10 million trees, it's another thing to plant 10. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> for those of you that we with this will be on YouTube, so for those of you that actually watch this, you'll be able to see the ad. Yeah. Um, it's another thing to plant 10 million trees. Who's planting all of these trees?
0: The 221 partners, okay. Um, volunteers, contractors. Um, so we do have uh, Chesapeake Bay Foundation restoration staff right here in Pennsylvania who yeah. support us um, across the south central counties here um, in Pennsylvania, and then our partners. Uh, there's a lot of technical assistance providers um, across those nonprofit and government entities. A lot of them are county conservation districts, so they're out working in the field. They're already connected to those landowners, so this just gives them another tool to offer when they're out connecting with land o- landowners. Um, NRC offices the national resource conservation service you know they're offering the trees um places like the trout unlimited so all these people are out helping either doing it directly themselves they're recruiting the volunteers uh to come out to tree planting events and something we're working on right now through a national fish and wildlife foundation grant is actually uh, training up contractors who would otherwise maybe doing maybe be doing traditional landscaping or providing them um really technical training and professional development to learn how to do uh, riparian tree maintenance programs mm-hmm. so that they can adopt that and do the type of technical maintenance work in these buffers so that we can pay them to do the planting.
2: You know what? You actually brought up a good point that I was I was going to go to next. And and for our listeners, that don't know when they think of, of landscape professionals, there's really specialized paths that these professionals take for the most part our customer base is doing mostly environmental work um, but the, not every landscaper takes that path or landscape professional takes that path so if you're used to one thing and you're working on something you know you're going to a wetland that you're not familiar with it's it's a different scenario that that does take a little bit of training so that's wonderful um, my next question with who's planting it I know the success of any restoration really is sometimes it comes to the stewardship after the words mm-hmm. is there a stewardship plan in place for it's one thing to plant you know grow 10 million trees plant 10 million trees now take care of 10 million trees now not every restoration you know when you're doing a large restoration if someone's doing 10 acres of reforestation there isn't necessarily a you know there could be a stewardship plan but it's hard to do that they I know sometimes it's uh you know what what kind of numbers are we looking at what kind of success rate are we looking at are we overplanting and looking at like an 80 90% but is there a stewardship plan worked into this to to keep going after they're planted
0: there is um so our organization while 10 million trees is our aspirational goal and something we hope to hit above and beyond that maintenance and survival is our number one goal more than planting the trees themselves so um through uh, the end of spring here uh, we have provided every single tree with a tree shelter and a tree mm-hmm. stake um, to help with those initial survival so you know when you have those deer out in the field and they look at those trees as giant lollipops we want them to be protected <laughs> by the tree shelter. We want the voles to avoid the roots so we provide those to all of the tree plantings. That's going to be reduced a little bit just to some cost barriers mm-hmm. like we're talking about supply chain issues oh, yeah. and we end talk about that more later Um, but um, that's one of the initial steps that we're taking. In addition we have a really large and robust maintenance fund so that National Fish and Wildlife Foundation grant um, we're matching a million of our own dollars to a million of dollars that they've given us and that is going towards planting 360 new acres in south central Pennsylvania of trees and part of that is training up 10 to 15 new technicians to do the maintenance. So not only having them do the site prep and planting, but then maintain the trees for up to five years. So we really see those first five years crucial. Um, We are planting mostly bare root and one to two-year-old containerized seedlings. So those first five years are vitally important for either the landowner or trained technician to be out pulling out the invasives, maybe doing herbicide application, maybe doing some stone mulch application. We also partner with Stroud Water Research Center on a, a research grant to evaluate all different types of meat and survival techniques from shelters and stakes. We're also looking at biodegradable shelters and trying to come up with some new innovations on that side of things as well.
2: That's, that's amazing, you know, and that's just knowing that the shelters are there is phenomenal for the success Mm -hmm. especially with with over deer population and things like that and for our listeners that maybe have never used one if like i know a popular brand name is tubex and depending on the size plant that you're using like if you said bare root or one to two years containerized seedlings that shelter can far exceed the price of the plant itself Mm -hmm. um so when you factor in not only the shelter, but installing the shelter. You know, it's it's a large price up front, but it's going to pay dividends and the yes. success in the long run. So yeah. it, where's the all the money coming from to do this? Like how does that's all that's that's a lot of money. It's not just plant, it's labor, it's it's growing them, it's yeah. it's it's protection.
0: With the exception of that National Fish and Wildlife Foundation grant, we do have another Growing Greener grant through Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection. Um, outside of that, we have one other grant with Department of Conservation Natural Resources. Beyond that, most of our money, uh, majority of the campaign money, comes from private donors. Wow. So the Chesapeake Bay Foundation has... Um, a really great, wonderful uh, donation trust. We have wonderful trustees um, that are committed to seeing Pennsylvania really move forward with our reductions to the bay load. So they're really committed to helping us with that. Um, You know, I've met a lot of wonderful people who are helping us to move further with that. And it's been um, a lot of education as well. You know, going out and meeting with the donors and just talking to them about the fact that, you know, it isn't a dollar a tree anymore. It never was. But a dollar a tree doesn't work. You know, when we're looking at the price of the shelter with a stake, with a tree, especially with the new costs of deliveries, we're looking on average at about $14 a tree um, is what we're calculating right now with the shifting costs and deliveries involved. so, you know, we really want to paint a very realistic picture for our donors and for our, our um, partners. Yeah, and when you know, when when a lot of
2: people think, you, you tend to see, and 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 I understand this completely. What's happening in your own backyard? What's happening in your own municipality? And and a, a lot of people feel discouraged that not enough is being done to to help the environment or protect the environment. This is huge. There's a mm-hmm. lot of money being uh donated and allocated through grants uh through organizations and state to to do this so when you wonder like what what is our government doing to 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 help green up or help the environment this is a great example of that and it's not something that everyone immediately thinks of
0: yeah well you know we definitely get some state support and we could use more (laughs) you know we um dep department of environmental protection department of conservation natural resources is is an excellent partner um and they themselves dcnr go after grants from the government so from epa from um, national fish and wildlife foundation Uh, we would really like to see the state of pennsylvania really dedicate more funding to this and we need that to be able to meet our goals in the chesapeake bay not just funding but we also need um technical assistance we need people um, we need the supplies and infrastructure um, and we need the regulation and the oversight you know the support um, from the regulatory side so there's there's definitely a multi-pronged approach Um, we actually just talked all about that this morning and you know there's lots of things that need to be done in Pennsylvania this is hopefully one of those things that's really just going to encourage people that it can be done And and I think that's what's most exciting is that we can partner together and we can move this forward and we can really achieve great success when we work together on something like this.
2: And it's really needed. uh, One of our uh, past guests, Tanya Dapke from Academy of Natural Sciences, shared with us um, an article from the Philadelphia Inquirer about – was it a DEP report, Tom? About the state of the water in Pennsylvania and it was a grading of – and in a lot of cases, it has gone down. Um, and we were talking about just the state of the health of our water and those ecosystems and how important they are. It it, it just speaks to volume speaks volumes of how important this program is, um, because we need it to get better. Uh, whether you know, and I was remember, trying to remember the list of contaminants. What was it?
1: Acid. There's a yeah. lot <laughs> of stuff. And it was uh, some mine mine acid or something like. I don't yeah. remember exactly. That yeah. was a big one.
0: You know, one thing I can't believe I completely forgot to touch on, I mean, we have put a significant amount of trees into abandoned legacy mine lands. You know, mm-hmm. it's certainly um, a major issue here in Pennsylvania. We're contributing 50,000 trees towards a really large tree planting project with the Altofino Water Authority um, based on remediating mine lands um, this spring. So we have a lot of challenges with clean water, more um, more streams were added to the list of um, degraded streams this year as sort of they take better calculations of the number of streams needing help and so it's not necessarily that the number of streams actually you know increased it's that we're getting better reporting but that just means we need to do more work so the work is not the workload is not going down <laughs> yeah. is what yeah. we know.
2: Well we're definitely but yeah. at the end of the episode we're definitely going to give the opportunity for you to shout out how people can donate because we would love for our listeners to get mm-hmm. involved and whether you're in that area or not, if you want to help, it's a great – you can see the results and you can see the work being done. So we would love for people oh, to be yeah. able to donate to this cause. Mm-hmm.
1: So I want to change things a little bit and ask – you glanced around why um, – I glanced off before. You were saying you chose trees for a reason. And what was that reason you chose trees versus herbaceous plants or, or shrubs or those kind of things?
0: Right. Well, they're most the most cost effective solution to what we're dealing with. So, you know, Chesapeake Bay Foundation, our focus is on clean water, like clean air, all a, carbon sequestration. All of those things are additionally important and are all of these wonderful other mega benefits of trees. So we look at trees as being that great um, you know, they call it indicator species for other types of, you know, animals and so on. You know, trees are that when it comes to clean water. Um, They help uh, retain soil on the stream banks, which is super important. Um, And that actually helps farmers. So when we can keep more soil on the banks and keep more soil on farmers' land, it helps them. It helps them to actually retain their crops. In Lancaster County especially, where we have some of the best soil in the world. It's just, you want to keep as much of that there and trees are what helps do that um in addition like if you've ever had the chance to read Hidden Life of Trees it's a fascinating book you know you're looking at how these trees communicate and connect with one another and we just see so many other ecological benefits to trees um, that will serve Pennsylvanias in the long-term. Um, there are also other funding options. So beyond what we do just for um, Chesapeake Bay Foundation, we can match it with other funds from different partners. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we're doing. You know, what one partner brings to the table, we're matching it with something else. So we're able to cobble together so many different things to make the program work. And for the most part, people usually get excited about trees. I mean, you can say like, you know, what is your favorite tree? And, you know, the excitement around trees. I mean, occasionally you'll meet someone who doesn't like trees, who had a bad experience. Maybe a tree (laughs) fell in their home, you know, in an urban situation. Yeah. Yeah. You might be dealing with problematic trees. It's a whole different beast. But for the most part, you know, when I'm out in the field talking to people, people like trees. And so it becomes very adoptable.
1: Yeah. And, and I didn't even think about that aspect of it. If you were to choose an herbaceous plant, you know, yeah, the individual is going to live for a period of a few years, and then eventually it'll become like a colony. There'll be a, a bunch from there, hopefully. But I even think of trees that I've planted 10, 15 years ago that now I can go and point and say, I remember when I planted those now to my now wife and then a young son, I can say, oh, yeah, look what I did Years and years ago, that's yes. still here. And now I, I planted them when they were two feet tall, and now they're 20 feet tall. It's really amazing because you can see that transformation, and you can get more um, – what's the word I'm looking for, Fran? Gratification? Uh, yeah, I guess gratification, the touchy-feely stuff, yeah. stuff I'm, <laughs> I'm not usually about. But, you, <laughs> but, you know, it's and,
2: – and we're in a, in a climate that everything wants to become a forest yeah. anyway, so I would imagine that – eventually whatever area we do, that's what it's going to want to become unless it's agricultural land that's being farmed or or things like that. But I
1: could see like a lot of these landowners being able to bring their kids and their grandkids and say, Hey, I planted this tree 10, 15 years ago or 20 years ago. And look what it's become now. Look at this. We can sit in the shade. We can, we can fish in the stream. We can utilize this tree. It wasn't just uh, something I did. And then it's, I can no longer point out that individual. You always will remember that. Those That's individuals. True. That's true.
0: Legacy components in Pennsylvania yeah. are huge. Oh yeah. And you know, we talk about legacy inheritance, those type of things, Pennsylvanians really rally around that. Um, similarly, you know, from a cultural standpoint, that can also be a difficulty on the tree side. You know, sometimes we'll talk to landowners whose grandfathers cut down every single tree on their farm to make way for crops so with them we're having a different conversation about why would you want to plant trees again on a farm when their grandpa cut down every single one and so then we have conversations around here's why you want to plant these trees but here's where we're going to plant them instead um so it it's just really about having the right conversation and and introducing the right species the right place at the right time so many different factors have to come together but yeah
2: i wish i could remember and i've referenced this before but i had seen a talk and it was about the trees of of pennsylvania and i I can't remember the gentleman's name but i had seen him talk on numerous occasions and all of his talks were fantastic but it it was just there's no original trees left of pennsylvania they've all been logged or something at some point and you're looking at secondary or 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 the third time around, trees and a lot of the the, the far settings are even what it's setting. So it, that's even more important to do this, in my opinion, knowing that because of of what it's lost or what it's regained. So, um, what yeah. what went into the tree selections for? I know you were saying sixty different. Was it what it does as far as uh, remediation? Uh, purposes or or lepidoptera purposes is what what were the selection was it like
1: on? even where it was from like those yeah. kind of things that like yeah. what factored into what you selected
0: all the above <laughs> um, and so much more so I think you know initially The plant lists always include lots of workhorse species like your oaks and your sycamores and things so that you would have kind of a range of the trees that like their feet wet and the trees that you know are hardy hardwood species um but then and and that landowners were familiar with that they would easily look on a list and say that's what I want that's what I'm familiar with Um, but that's evolved over time uh, especially in conversations when we're looking at adapting for climate change and understanding that we may not necessarily want to plant as many evergreens in southern pennsylvania we want to might want to focus those more on northern pennsylvania our northeastern pennsylvania looking at the climate adaptations we're also looking a lot at disease a lot at insects so ash has just you know, disintegrated our forests, you know, prior to that was Elm several hundred years ago is, was chestnuts. So we look at these things and biodiversity is incredibly important for us. So when we're talking to landowners, we, um, I would say we don't allow, but we really discourage them from planting any monocultures. Mm -hmm. So we are encouraging them in a one acre planting to choose a minimum of 10 different species because we don't want to see a blight come in and take everything out. You know, we've cut down so many ash trees just on my property alone. And that's, you know, half my woods that Mm -hmm. I have. Um, So we don't want to see that continually happen because we know it's going to happen. And then the other part of that is the marketability. So how can we sell trees to landowners? So that's a huge part of this. So we not only need to match the trees to the soil and making sure that they're going to survive well, but we need to make it exciting for the landowner to actually want to care for these trees, to see the potential in them. Uh, And that's oftentimes for something like an agroforestry component, where they can actually see a native fruit or nut production come from that, like hickory or pawpaw um, or some um, modified American chestnuts that are coming um, to the to the um, retail uh, scene. So we're looking at all those different things of how we might introduce things. Elderberry has become very popular mm-hmm. as well. We offer woody bushes and, and shrubs in addition. So we're looking at those things to say, hey, maybe you wouldn't traditionally think about um, oaks, but maybe you would like some of these because in a couple of years you could actually forage on your own property. Or if you'd like to hunt, you could actually create a whole edible forest. All the deer will come in, provided we've Protected these trees well, and then you can hunt right in your forest when you're done. But when we work with the growers and we put out the request for proposal, we put very specific things in there. Not only a gigantic list of native species that we want to see, it may not mean that they're available, but we're putting it out there that these are the trees we want to see available. Can you help us find them? Can you work with seed producers? But we're saying we want you to try and collect the seed from the mid-Atlantic, if at all possible, so that it's well adapted. We want to make sure that the trees are grown here, um, not grown down south and then brought back up, both from an adaptability standpoint, but from um, a logistical and just carbon standpoint and making sure that we're not using the trucking and and all the emissions going out. So we look at the ecological part of that as well. Um, And we have a huge economic development component of our program that is focused on giving money back to Pennsylvania and showing that conservation makes money. So that is why we've given so many of our contracts to Pennsylvania companies, to Maryland companies because we want to show people that we are literally and truly investing dollars in Pennsylvania.
2: you just answered all my questions. <laughs> but that you know because it was so por- so imp- you mentioned so many important things, you know, biodiversity, provenance, which is so important to success because you want that biodiversity, you want that genetic diversity in the seed and 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 some you touched on so many wonderful things especially not having monoculture so i was going to ask if there was specifications where the trees needed to originate from but you you really you really hit that the other thing that i loved was i i think you made the nursery step up and and it's very difficult being on this side i know like we're job driven and and you grow what
1: you you don't have renewable orders where you know X, Y, and Z, you're going to order 100 trees each. It's not it's, like when you're you're servicing garden centers, centers. and they're going to want the same plants every year and try a couple things new every once in a while. Yeah. It's, it's hey, this is a riparian buffer restoration, so they're going to need this plant palette. Or this is a, yeah. a meadow restoration. They're going to need this plant palette. It's always a little bit different.
2: But you always get – you always will hear a nurseryman say, well, I'd grow it if I knew someone was going to buy it You know, because you get into the habits that's like, well, I know I can sell this, so I'm going to grow this. So you created the demand. You kind of made everyone step up to the plate. They knew there yeah. was a demand for it. They knew it was a need for it. Have have you have you seen that with your uh, with with your partners as far as yeah. who's producing the trees?
0: Yeah. So, you know, one of the first things that we envision, and this was thankfully to an internal coworker here who works on the farmer side of things. You know, they do things in forward contracting where they are um, pre-purchasing seeds and so on and saying, you know, I'll um, agree to grow a certain number of grain and, you know, they'll get a down payment to grow that grain. And then upon delivery of it, they'll get the final payment. And, you know, his suggestion was, why don't we try that for trees? And so for the first, you know, three years, two and a half years that I was here, it was figuring out how do we do that? So we um, created a grower supply work group, and we invited all of the um, native plant nurseries that we were working with already or that were existing in Pennsylvania, and we brought them to a table, and they were competitors, and we said, let's talk through this, Um, one of them being the Pennsylvania Landscape and Nursery Association, and we just asked them to help us navigate through these questions of what would it look like if we were to say we want, let's say, a million we started with a million, let's say a million trees to be grown on demand. What kind of down payment would you need? What kind of capacity do you even have? Can you even do this? Can you get enough seed to grow it? Do you, can you get some of the varieties that we need? Um, we also worked with Arbor Day Foundation who had tried a similar model out in California for growing seedlings um, following uh, forest fire reforestation. Um, So we took all of those models together. We came up with a model contract. And about um, in May of 2020, after the pandemic uh, first launched and our, our spring season just went into chaos, we said like, this is the time that we need to do it because growers right now need predictability. Everyone needs predictability. And we had promised it to our donors. You know, we'd set aside the funds to do it. So we released a request for proposal for 500,000 trees to be grown over two years for delivery this year in 2022. So we partner with three different growers across Pennsylvania, Maryland. We ended up with approximately 487,000 trees that are all getting delivered this year. Um, They're grown to our specifications. Uh, We put a 30% down payment. That down payment um, actually allowed a lot of them to uh, buy former defunct nurseries that went out of business in the 2008 economic recession they invested in them brought them back to life hired more co-workers um, so we saw nurseries expand because of this investment and it gave them predictability and then after a year we went to visit our little baby seedlings and inspect them and make sure they were growing well and in a couple of weeks they're going to be landing on our partner's doorsteps and they'll be the ones that we grow with these partners, and now we're offering that contract model to partners all over the country, including the u s. trillion Trees Reforestation work group, because we want to see that model elsewhere because we know it can work. and
2: you know the one nice thing that I love about this end of the industry and and you know, I started off in the ornamental side and switched to this about fifteen years ago, is that even though when you said you you put a bunch of competitors at a table, we all know each other and we're all really friendly. When, you, when you're dis- describing the, the nursery that was able to invest, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, you know, because we're all working towards the same goal. Like, yes, everyone needs to make money and be profitable because you have people that depend on you, but you're all doing it for the good of ecology. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, and we all kind of, I don't know, it, it just seems a little bit different to me. It's a different breed of, of nurserymen, not, and I don't mean that it despairingly no. against other nurseries.
0: it it, it totally is and i think that's why it was able to happen um because the conversations weren't just about the bottom dollar it wasn't about who was gonna take the lowest price and in fact you know it wasn't just about the lowest price for us we tried to split it out evenly among everyone that bid Mm -hmm. you know to try and make it fair um but if they are passionate about you know I you know I raise the better oh. plant I really look into this I offer this this is what I do to make yeah. a quality native product and so you know they're they're really like staking everything on the quality of their native plants and so that's what it's about
2: yeah and you know we all you know the funny thing is because we talked about landscape professionals that um, specialize in certain areas we all share the same customers too so it's not like we know who. If we can't help you, we know who we want to help you. You know, we want you to go to the right person. We're going to be just as successful mm-hmm. as as you were if you were dealing with us. So it's, we all have our own little network, which I really like. There's there's nurserymen in, in this business that I'm friends with outside of we we talk about things other than mm-hmm. than native plants, you know. And it's I love to see that. So it's I love that it's a passionate group and a good group that you're able to get together and work this out and make it work where everyone felt comfortable and had their space mm-hmm. to do, do the right thing.
0: Well, and when you offer donuts, they show. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, donuts are key. Yeah. Donuts are pizza. I think that to me, that's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, how challenging was COVID to your mission? Um, you know, obviously we saw a lot of projects, not only get delayed, get canceled because the manpower wasn't there. the safety wasn't in place how did that how did that set you back towards your goal
0: so we were you know in march we got sent home 2 years ago we were um about to start our tree supply distribution so we always start with shelters and stake deliveries about a month ahead of when our plants go out so we were about 2 or 3 days out from that when we got sent home and we're told we can't do anything and so you know, to stop an entire spring season, and we had ramped up. So the previous season, I think we had done, or the previous year, we had done, I think, approximately 150,000 trees in total. Um, Last In that 2020, we were going to do, I think it was 210,000 trees. So significant ramp up, and um, we didn't know what to do. And we actually got on the phone with our um, vendors, our nurseries, and we're like, "Can, can you hold plants for us even the bare roots yeah. you know what do you do in this case um how does that work because we didn't want them necessarily sending them out the door because we didn't want trees dying on people's doorsteps as their yeah. way to be planted um A lot of um, organization, partner organizations got shut down in Pennsylvania. We had, um, you know, different uh, mandates, depending if you were, I think it was called a life-sustaining business. So um, eventually forestry was deemed a life-sustaining business. So some partners were able to continue operations, um, but in a much reduced capacity because they no longer had volunteers. Mm -hmm. Um, So we Pivoted. So we, um, you know, after about three weeks of going, oh my word, what are we going to do? Um, We worked with our nurseries who were really flexible with us, thank God. And um, we sent out the trees that we knew could get planted. Partners adjusted their orders accordingly. And then we just put out a call to, boroughs, municipalities, townships, because they were all still operating. They were all still open. They still had to run their townships. Uh, They were on skeleton crews. Um, But, you know, tree planting projects were things they maybe had two or three years out. But now they suddenly had no other projects to work on because they couldn't. But they had time to plant trees, and they could do that safely, outside, and distanced. So um, they really stepped up, and they took tons of trees. We even had some conservation districts take trees and put them in their own nurseries to grow up into larger stock for the next season, oh, Wow! which we found is a great solution because then they could have larger stock for, for their projects. Um, and then we also worked on a tree giveaway program where we ship trees out to our members to plant in their backyards. Um, we eventually found homes for all of the trees, which is still sort of amazing to me that none of them ended up dead or that we didn't have to cancel any orders. Um, You know, are they all accounted for in my GIS tracker? I don't know. Um, I hope, but we found homes for all of them. And I was just, I'm still astounded. Like I I look at pictures of my partners out in the field planting by themselves with their dogs, one tree at a time to make it happen. Some going out just with their wives and their kids because that's the only people they could be around planting the trees, because they're that dedicated to this, and I just, I don't know, I love it, it makes me want to tear up, I just, they are so passionate about this, and excited, and fast forward two years, and, you know, now we're back at it, we, you know, we still have some precautions, but, you know, we're mostly moving forward, and now we're dealing with the supply chain ripple effects, you know, now we we've gone from, you know, shipping containers that used to cost us $0 to get shipped overseas. They're now $12,000 a container. Wow. I mean, we can't predict those kinds of shipping costs. So, you know, trying to make a flux in that and determine, you know, what can we do without so that partners can still get their tree shelters or, you know, what pivots do we need to make and how do we push the industry to make more in the United States or to make a better product or to make more biodegradables? So these are conversations we've been having for years, but now we're really trying to push and say, Mm -hmm. it's not just a conversation now, it's necessary.
1: And, and how many of those pivots did you keep? You found out, you know what, this actually worked out better than what we originally planned on doing.
0: I'm trying to think, Um, you know, we actually were able to open up our tree giveaway program a little bit more. after COVID, you know, we, not that we became less stringent, but it allowed us to recruit partners in a different way. So rather than sort of us go going through a little bit more laborious process of recruiting partners and onboarding them, when partners came to us wanting free trees during the tree giveaway program, we just signed them up, you know, and just Mm -hmm. say, okay, like, you know, we'll provide you with the training, but yeah, let's get you signed up for free trees and and we'll help you work through it. So as long as their project looked good, you know, we wanted to get them in the queue. Um So that was one of the definite advantages. And it helped our partnership grow, I think, from somewhere around 150 to where we're at now to So it's really helped us to have that exponential growth.
2: Man, this whole conversation just makes me feel good. Like- yeah, it really does. <laughs> Thank you. So, I, you know, what? I needed this. I'm glad. I'm um, glad. What what would you say and and it sounds like you've had a few, what would you say your biggest challenge is trying to accomplish this mission what is what has been the hardest thing to to overcome
0: mm. I think oh goodness. <laughs> <That's> so hard
2: because <laughs> it, um, it sounds like you you've encountered a lot of things that weren't necessarily who you know who yeah. was going to guess a pandemic and an oh my gosh. And overseas yeah. war and you know yeah you'll pre- no one would have predicted that
0: no yeah I mean you know we looked at the things like would landowners want trees you know I mean we're mm-hmm. still working on that we're getting through it I you know what I think what it is right now is, is the labor shortage. Yeah. I, I think that's probably the biggest challenge that we're seeing right now. Um, you know, I see so many openings for jobs, and, and we, we, too, experience that. Like, we hire two seasonal staff. Our two seasonal staff, are two retired gentlemen, they're amazing. Um, but trying to hire seasonal employees is extremely difficult. I'm mm. sure you guys completely understand that. <laughs> yes. Um, You know, trying to hire anybody is really difficult. I see that, too, from the partner perspective. I see that from contractors just trying to find um, employees out in the field. Um, You know, I think when we went into this, I I didn't necessarily expect that, you know, being able to create jobs. I thought, you know, that might be hard, but we figured out how to create jobs. I never thought that filling the jobs would be as difficult Mm -hmm. as it has become.
2: Yeah, I mean that's I, I think that's something everyone in this industry is facing right now, and it's who would have who would have thought or guessed that that would be another challenge that we'd all be facing, and I, I don't know what the answer is to that. I I really don't because there's so many jobs being created in so many other industries as well. Um, the competition is is frightful mm-hmm. right now, and Tom deals with that a lot more than, yes. I, than I I, <laughs> yeah. I do but it's uh it is a challenge for everyone and it just it's another thing. You know, it's I I think it's funny that probably at the get go when I first heard it I'm, I personally I'm thinking the biggest challenge is growing 10 million trees. That's got to be the biggest challenge. That is not <laughs> that, 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 the biggest challenge. by I that it's seems so
0: funny. As, I'm sorry. Yeah, now now I feel like at this point after we've done the first forward contract. I'm like, ah, check mark. Like, (laughs) you know, we've worked with growers, although, you know, it certainly comes with its its hiccups, you know, in terms of funding and and finding the seeds to do it. It's still a challenge, but we have a mechanism to get there. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll, it's still, it's still an issue, but, um, yeah, the, the labor shortage. I don't know. I'm still, you know, robotics is very interesting to me. That they figured out drones to plant trees. Maybe we yeah, can, yeah. maybe we can figure out some other <laughs> drone technology. I don't know, Tom. I'm open to ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I actually just saw a. Uh, I was at a meeting and um, a guy had just bought a drone for his IPM and pesticide applications, and uh, it was just super. I guess he used like. Some I think it was infrared technology and could tell where the breakouts were. So instead of the traditional method of going over, and I'm like, this is like a sci-fi movie. You <laughs> this doesn't exist yet, but no, it did, and it would fly over, and it could tell where there was little infestations or fungal breakouts based on heat signature and just treat the plants that needed to be treated, and it was all through a drone it was really really so yeah maybe there is something that we can, we can figure out for using drones to to help plant trees and and create habitats so before before we we ask you questions about you cuz we want to know more
2: about you where when the 10 million trees are planted what what comes next is there another program waiting off in the wings or is is there a big celebration and we're like we can't believe we pulled that off <laughs>
0: It's an unknown right now, but okay. we've we've put in legacy components. So from the beginning, we've created the Keystone Tree Partnership to exist outside of ten million trees. So my hope would be that this partnership that we've developed continues to live on, um, because I I mean I, again I can't say enough of how this partnership collaborates and just the phenomenal amount of innovations and and just amazing things that have come from it. So my plan would be that the legacy partnership would continue on. I would hope that there's still a free tree giveaway program uh, that exists from it in Pennsylvania, because um, I think there's still there will still be appetite for it. Um, mm-hmm not only just from people who have an interest in planting trees, but also from a mortality perspective, just knowing that, you know, especially in those last years, we're going to have mortality and people will want to replant. So from that portion, and we'll still have funders probably interested in funding just the trees. Um, So those two things I'm looking at. um, From an organizational standpoint, I don't know, but hey, I'd still like a job after twenty (laughs) twenty-five. so let's see.
2: In in a perfect world after the 10 million trees are planted, what are your hopes for what the two year report would say about the, the state of the Bay or the state of the watershed Mm.
0: two years after
2: two years after
0: Emily, two years after, you know, I I know like a, a C doesn't seem like a big win, but if the state of the Bay, you know, in 2027 could be at a C a good average, you know, I would take it like, To me, that would mean that everything we have done is showing progress. Is that realistic? I don't know. I'll be quite honest, especially because we know trees take a while. You know, they don't, uh, their uptake isn't, um, you know, significant, but it does have some instantaneous uptake. So my hope would be that those 10 million are planted in enough right places that we have brought it up to see. Well, that we, would be my hope.
2: I think one thing we've learned throughout this whole journey is that nature's resilient and it will rebound if you give it a chance and and you're giving it a great chance mm-hmm. by doing this. So, hopefully we see that. You know, that would be wonderful to see that kind of improvement would would just, you know, it, you, you would have to not feel good about what you accomplished if that happened, but um yeah. we wanted to before we have to let you go. Um, I'm just checking the time. We would love to just talk to you about you a little bit, and, and what inspired you to take this bath or 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 take this this on taking of this project to to where you're at today.
0: Sure. Well, you know, when I read the job description, I just said like, oh man, like this is this is my dream job. This this sounds amazing amazing. I, uh, you know, I went to school for, um, business. I went to Harrisburg area community college and, uh, finished an associate's degree. Um, you know, I don't know if most people like touting this, but I do not have my bachelor's degree. I do not have my master's degree. Um, you know, I've worked a variety of different jobs and everything from advertising sales to selling Mary Kay, uh, to having, um, self-published my own book. So, you know, um, All of those things kind of add up and in the past uh, five years, I took a Pennsylvania Master Naturalist course that really kind of helped inspire me and and kind of redirect me to figuring out, you know, do I want to stay on the business sales trajectory or do I want to do something more in the science realm and going through that course. I really saw all the things that I was passionate about, Um, but I I don't love math. I don't love Mm -hmm. that. So I I was like, how can I make this work? So when I saw this um, job come up, I just said, like, this this is just the perfect combination of things. And I'm really passionate about Pennsylvania. I I was born and raised in Lancaster County, in southern Lancaster County, moved away, came back. It has that magnetic pull. And I find nature just to be extremely healing. You know, I have found um, just a lot of healing in nature. I lost my first husband to cancer when I was 24 years old in 2008. And, you know, I escaped to nature. That's what I did. And I did that in Pennsylvania, in the woods of Pennsylvania. I remember walking through the woods and finding clarity. And so when I started taking these courses, when I started hiking, when I started volunteering, It was just so um, profound to me to see that I needed to do everything I could to protect that nature, not just for me, but for anyone else who might need to escape to those woods or escape to nature to find that. Um, So it became a very personal mission to me, and it still is, to see that we continue to protect Pennsylvania, to protect our ecosystem, and to provide those sacred places for people to find those journeys or to at the very least have a place to sit down and and enjoy listening to the leaves ruffle or or you know cast a a fishing uh, rod into the stream so um you know that's what I want to create for people is that peace that I found here
2: thank you for sharing that 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 is a wonderful story I I was born and raised in Pennsylvania so born and raised in Bucks County and I you know I I have that connection there and I know Tom does where, where we're at New Jersey you know it's it's nice when you find that connection with nature, regardless of what brings you to it. Not everyone finds it at the same time or or the same place, but it's. But we love that there's people like you that are passionate about it. That can can take a position like this and do it. And life experience. I don't. I'll share. I I don't have a college degree. You know, it's to me life experience can can mean a lot, especially when on taking this. And I think you're the right person for the job. So. I'm glad you found it. I'm glad it found you. <laughs>
0: Thanks, Fran. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's it's no doubt it's intimidating to come into a position like this, um, having more of the life experience versus the book experience. You know, I I have the privilege to work with PhDs and scientists and just amazing people. And what's really cool is they think I'm amazing. So you know, I what we collaborate and and I get to learn so much from them on the scientific background that they can provide and I can provide to them the background knowledge that I have and neither one is any less or more than the other we're just bringing the experience that we have to the table and so when I'm thinking about workforce development and I'm thinking about people that we hire and when I'm thinking about how we grow this mission I'm thinking about who the right person is for the job and what they can bring to it not necessarily about that um that education or or that slip of paper, those kinds of things. I'm looking at what kind of experience and what kind of technical knowledge do they have to help us achieve that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's you know, at uh Tom's father, uh Don, who Don and Suzanne started the nursery Mm -hmm. when when we first started talking to him about the podcast, we were like ten or fifteen episodes in, he's like, Wow, you guys are actually giving yourself your own little college course here. You know, because we work with some extremely intelligent people. Mm And if you hope some of it rubs off, you know I I, I know Tom yeah. jokes. If you if you associate with enough experts, eventually people will think you're an expert. <laughs> <laughs> you know, guilty by association. But it's uh, no, yeah. it's it's it, if you're willing to learn and 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 pay attention, it's amazing what kind of education you can get just from the people that you're privileged enough to
1: to yeah. work with. You know, yeah. and I feel lucky that. And way. it's a uh, it's. When I was a, a high school senior and applying to different colleges to go to, and um, it was a friend of my dad's, it was actually one of his professors when he went to Rutgers, said, It's not where you go to school, it's what you make of it. And that just applies to life. It's not like it's, he phrased it in about going to college, but it's really, it's not like where, who you are and what you are and what you're doing, it's what you make of your opportunities that. That really make the person you are. It doesn't really matter where you go to school because you could go to Harvard or Yale, but if you don't do anything with it, it doesn't matter. It's <laughs> or you or you cannot go to school and and become a, a millionaire, a billionaire, maybe not as easily, but in the same the same right. So yeah. What
2: is your favorite part of your job? What makes you smile? Yeah.
0: I really like. Um Digging into the really messy problems <laughs> um, in collaborative discussions where we can have open ended conversations about what we're facing mm-hmm. and not know how we're going to come out the other side. So, where I leave a meeting and I don't have my to do list, mm-hmm. but I leave a meeting and I'm going, I'm so excited. Like I can take this and we can (laughs) build on this. Um, Similarly with partner meetings, you know, I, I used to work extremely autonomously in my own business Mm -hmm. for a little while, or, you know, working independent sales, you're by yourself a lot. And, and that becomes a real favorable place. You know, you're like, I can do it on my own now that I have to collaborate. I want to collaborate, and um, it's very humbling, and you find that, you know, you you can become a sponge, kind of like Tom was talking about, you know, just taking in that information, and then you can realize that, you know, there are things and perceptions that you have that can change because you're learning more all the time, and so I like when I have the time and opportunity to have those discussions.
2: That is awesome. Tom, do you – because I'm just looking. We probably have like 10 minutes. Before we ask – the, our our favorite last
1: question. Did did you have any last questions for Brenda? No, no, not not in particular. You have definitely talked about this program before. <laughs> not only did you cover everything that we wanted to talk about, you also sold it, which yes. uh, which is. I'm going to time my final thought. I don't want to. I don't okay. want to give right. it away too soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we
2: always we always end this with the same question, which is the the simplest question and also the hardest question. Um, so we never hold every anyone to one answer your answer can change over time it's not uh you know you have to this is it um what is your favorite neighbor native plant
0: i'm gonna use plant in a very general okay term all right that's fine sycamore all right the tree i i i love a sycamore tree i um i just man when i see them i come alive I I loved the story behind them of um, Native Americans looking for them and being able to find water because of the color of their bark. Um, In fact, we moved this year, and when we moved, uh, I looked, and there was this giant sycamore that takes three people to wrap themselves around Uh it to actually Uh get around the trunk, and I think that's pretty much what sold me on the house. (laughs) And uh, there's just something so just majestic and large and... I don't care that they're dirty trees. Bring on all the dirty trees. I just (laughs) I find them just amazing.
2: You know, and that's a great tree and a resilient tree because we actually had a conversation um, on on the podcast last week week about just the issue that it's had over time with anthracnose, Um, and not a lot of nurseries other than native nurseries grow it. But the fact that there's still ones out there that 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 large and are surviving, you know gives me great hope mm-hmm. that 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 tree is meant to be here so
1: i think that's wonderful well, friend, you didn't you didn't give the fact about native americans using it to find water i that's, didn't know uh, that fact oh, yeah <laughs> I, I didn't know that fact
2: so can you can you share with us that that fact so the color of the bark for finding water what if it's near water it's
0: so it's, the this is the folklore okay you know, All right. it is um you know, it's, it has the very whitish gray bark yep. and it's always typically the tallest tree in the area. So, you know, when you're over a lookout or, you know, if you climb to a top of a hill and you look out, the first tree you're likely to spot is a sycamore because it's the tallest and it has the most notable bark. And sycamores are usually found by water. Right. And so if you're stuck in the middle of wood somewhere, you get lost and you need to find water. Look out upon the horizon and look for the sycamore okay. because that will help you find your way to water. And awesome. that is the folklore of how they fi- found water.
2: Thank you for sharing. We learn something new every day.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we always end with a final thought. So this is the the time of the podcast where we hand over the floor to you. We You can use the time to summarize, promote something. We definitely want you to throw in how how our listeners can donate. Uh, as part of your final thought but if you can just uh, use the time however you'd like we're handing it over to you
0: if i can unmute myself I <laughs> all right well thank you guys i really i really appreciate being here and i'm sorry it took so long for me to get here <laughs> um, but uh, if, if anyone is interested in supporting it you know of course, I think it's an amazing mission. I'm really proud of what we've done. Um, but you can go to cbf.org. Stands for Chesapeake Bay Foundation.org. Um, you can go to the donate page. You can donate generally, or you can actually pick a option to donate five trees for twenty five dollars, I believe. So um, that's one option. Outside of that, uh, 10milliontrees.org is our main website. And um, one of the biggest needs we have right now outside of funding is connecting to landowners. So if you know of landowners in Pennsylvania that have land along streams, uh, specifically in south-central Pennsylvania, but anywhere, um, and they own ag lands or they're upland from ag lands, we want to get you free trees, So um, go to that website. It's actually in the process of being revamped. So in the next two weeks, you're going to see a brand new website. It's going to help you connect more directly to one of our 221 partners, which we're really excited about. Um, And I think that will really provide a lot of just technical expertise and assistance for those landowners to hopefully get some questions answered um, that may have been more difficult for them to answer in the past. Um, And lastly, just Thank you. I mean, this program's been amazing. I, yeah, as Tom mentioned, I've definitely talked about it before. I, I love it. I'm passionate about it. I've stuck in here, maybe in times when I thought, man, I should leave now. But you know, we're we're halfway there uh, in terms of time. We're going to be halfway there in terms of the five million this fall. And even though we have some really specific challenges. We have some really amazing opportunities and partners and people. Um, And for me, I just want to see that what we've used and what we've created be recreated elsewhere. So I think the greatest gift to me outside of this saving the Bay and getting us to that sea in 2027 uh, would be that other programs actually take what we've learned and apply it and to see if it's successful there. Because if New Jersey were to adopt this and it would be successful there, I would feel so honored, you know, or California or any of those places would take just an ounce of what we've done and try it. I think it would just be amazing. I would so. love
2: that. I had that same thought as you were, as we first started talking. I'm like, how great would it be if this got adapted across? Across the country, in different areas, that, that's wonderful, yeah. awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tom. Would you like? I'm gonna let you go. You're gonna let it. me go. All right. I'm still looking up. So. I almost <laughs> never go second. All right. So, for my final thought, it, it's it's a pretty simple phrase: "Dream big." Now, my, the, when I first heard about this, you almost thought, "Is this even possible?" It's possible, and it's going to happen. Anything is possible if you put your mind to it, and there's enough people that are willing to to be a partner in it, and and there's definitely a lot of great people that are very passionate. For for this type of uh, program, and I would love to see more of it. I'd love to see this be just the pilot program for for one of many. Um, but don't don't think too small. Dream big. Make it big. Make it happen. And uh, I think sometimes our only limitations are ourselves and, and our imagination. So uh, just I, you're probably happy though you didn't envision fifteen million trees. <laughs> 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 maybe
1: maybe phase two. But that's that's my final thought, Tom. Go ahead. Um, so mine is, and I am i don't remember what book this concept came to me in. It was a Malcolm Gladwell book. I don't remember if it was talking to strangers or outliers, but basically he has this premise that you, you need those really smart people who can create new and inventive strategies, but just as important the people can sell those strategies and convince other people to get on board. And, Brenda, you – you mentioned yeah, you get to work with all these PhDs and all these super smart people who really understand the science about what why these trees are important, in the Chesapeake Watershed. But without someone like you who can sell that story and get the farmers and landowners and all these other nonprofits on board, it's not going to go anywhere. And that's, I guess, where I really wanted to sum up because we need those people yeah, for the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, but also just to sell native plants as a whole. We keep talking about it. That's what Fran and I are trying to do, is sell native plants as a whole to the people who are – don't care about native plants. They need to know that they're important and that there is a choice between a Japanese barberry or, or something else, than a native plant that they can put in instead. So it's just something that's really, really important. And you might not have that technical knowledge, but being someone who can sell that story is just as important as the people who are doing the research and, and building the data behind it.
2: Awesome. Awesome. That's a great final thought. Brenda, thank you so much for joining us today. We, we really appreciate it. This has yeah. been this has been wonderful. We're going to do our outro so we can get Brenda out of here. Yes, know yes. She has
1: so that is it for today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to Brenda C- uh, Siglitz from the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Better that time than the first time I said it. Uh, for more information you can visit www.cbf.org. Uh, thank you everyone for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pilots Nursery. We're saying thank you to the egocentric
2: plastic men for contributing our theme music. Make sure you stream or buy their songs. We're you consume your music or go see them live uh they're in and out uh, the philly area um you can follow us on twitter at pineland nursery facebook at pinelands nursery nj instagram at pinelands nursery or native plants underscore healthy planet and youtube at pinelands nursery don't forget about the question and comment line you can call us at 215-346-6189 i will repeat that 215-346-6189 Ask a question or leave a comment. When we play your comment on a future episode of The Buzz, we'll answer it to the best of our ability or call a friend. Uh, let's not forget the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group, 900
1: members strong, and it just keeps going. So you can buy Native Plants Healthy Plant t-shirts at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com There's a little banner at the top that says buy t-shirts. Click that. It'll take you to our Teespring store. We don't keep any of the money. We take it and give it to the folks that we feel are worthy that we've had on the podcast. They're really doing boots on the ground work and and creating all these healthy habitats. So, Fran and I, we aren't making getting rich off these t-shirts. No, we're, we're giving we're it all nothing.
2: Out. But we love seeing the great message and oh, yeah. all the money
1: going to people yep. that can really put it to use. So you can listen to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplant.com Or you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcast. When you're there, do us a favor, leave a five-star review. It helps spread this message about native plants. With that, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thanks again, everyone. Brenda, again, thank you very much.
2: Uh, Coming up next week, we have a buzz episode, so tune in for that. And until then, keep it native.